Hello and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown to tell stories and analyze the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries for our, and hopefully your, amusement. I am your horrified of a host, Gary, with my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hello. How are you? I am doing spectacularly well. Awesome. In fact, uh, I have two pieces of news that will make this even better. Okay. First of all, we have a new member to the family. I would like to let everyone know that we recently adopted a 14-week-old Great Dane puppy. Uh, his name is Samwise, after Lord of the Rings. So I wanted to make sure I mention it because he definitely <laughs> wants to be part of the podcast. <laughs> so if you hear some whining or howling in the distance, we have a puppy who definitely wants to be heard and wants all the attention. Yes. So... He is our third unofficial co-host. Yes, right now he's chewing on something he's not supposed to have, so he's going to whine because I just took it away. Secondly, I guess this is the perfect time to make this announcement. I have moved from my day job to create a new media company entitled Gare Bear Media. The podcast has done so amazingly well as having 10,000 downloads. It's reached the top 10 on podcast provider lists and even on magazine top lists. This was all done as it was a part of a hobby that I really didn't put much time into. However, an opportunity came up and I decided to take a risk. It was basically a go big or go home as they say. This means I have worked on some developmental deals that will improve and expand the show. That means for the upcoming months, I can focus more on the episodes to create a VIP Patreon channel, more daily TikTok paranormal stories, and finally get our video channel up and running. That's a lot of work. So yeah, um, you've been really working hard, and you've kind of brought this up to where it's where it is. I'm excited to see where you take it, having it as your full-time job. Thank you. I'm pretty excited as well. Although I've met the boss and I'm not uh, the most friendly of people. So we'll see how it goes. I would recommend you join us on our Facebook page to keep up with the latest news. This should be a very exciting time for not only Within the Mist, but more. The more includes another podcast slash video channel that will be starting in April. This will star myself and Goldie Ann and it will be entitled Brand New Adventures designed to cover things to do and see within Central Florida, and eventually expanding beyond. You'll see that it's a channel that we've started before, but we just more or less were go-getters, and we go, 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 go. So we just put videos up, but now we're going to take it a little bit more serious. <laughs> Maybe not serious, but a little wow. bit more organized. Yeah. Pretty much you'll be able to check that out on a weekly basis of things to do and see. Maybe some suggestions on having your own adventures. Mm -hmm. We have lots of fun. Another also in the works project is with my daughter, Ariel, who we've mentioned on the podcast before. We are going to be working on Kind of Medical, a podcast for veterinary technicians. This will be a weekly show designed to educate and especially support the veterinary technician community from basically two generations of vet techs through the years. Lastly, and possibly the most exciting news I have, is that I did a thing. Uh -oh. I have a book that should be released in May. 
based on the research and the work that I do with cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. I am consolidating a collection of 50 short stories or short-ish stories that I'll be able to provide more details on as it gets closer and closer to its release date. Awesome. So you can see Gare Bear Media is going to be a full-time job, and I would never have taken such a risk if it had not been for the support of you, our listeners, my family, and especially you, Goldie Ann. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. I mean, this is kind of risky on both our parts, so... <laughs> Okay, now that all the good news is done, uh, today's episode contains stories about a creature that attempts to break into a home and attacks children. What? That's scary. This story can be. Some members of our audience might find it a bit unsettling, so please be forewarned. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe a little. Listener discretion is always advised. Maybe a lot today. <laughs> I also want to make note that this is not the case of the Enfield haunting or poltergeist, which took place in Enfield, England, and was the basis for the film Conjuring 2. I know there can be some confusion. This case is completely different and separate. And I have no knowledge of any connection between the two other than the names of the two towns being the same. Yeah. Well, you know, there's two towns everywhere. Exactly. I'm sure there's even more Enfields out there. Oh, absolutely. Now, the Enfield haunting does deserve an episode of its own, and I am positive we will delve into it. But well, of course. I just, but I just want to let everyone understand going into today's episode that we are discussing a cryptid of Illinois. So now, let's take a walk within the mist. The Shawnee National Forest of Southern Illinois covers miles of forests and open fields. It is also a region of sparse population in some areas. This enables even the most unusual creatures to exist, unknown for centuries. This region has been called the Devil's Kitchen, a nickname by the Native Americans and the early settlers to explain strange sights and sounds. To the Native Americans, this location was sacred. The idea that such locations were linked to the devil was the first thought that crossed the minds of the Bible-reading, God-fearing settlers when they came to Illinois. They believed these areas to be cursed, or at the very least, avoided. It would not be a surprise to these early settlers that in April of 1973, the strangest monster reports to ever take place in Illinois began in the nearby small town of Enfield. This tiny community in southeastern Illinois became the scene of bizarre happenings, making it, without a doubt, one of the most bizarre creatures ever in cryptozoology. Today, we discuss the Enfield Horror. That's exciting because I like the Enfield haunting. So let's see if I like this one just as much. Okay. Well, then let me start with chapter one the shoe muncher. Oh, we're going to talk about the dog? <laughs> Some habits similar to a dog. Good. But in this case, the story of the terror that would plague the small town of Enfield, Illinois, would begin on April 25th of 1973 between the hours of 7 and 8 p.m. It was a chilly evening like any other until Greg Garrett, who was playing in the backyard of his home, became assaulted by a completely unique creature. 
It came out of nowhere to startle the child, which he described as being about four to four and a half feet tall, standing upright and weighing an estimated 200 pounds. What? It was a very squat little creature, and it was grayish in color with a slimy skin and dark red eyes that stared back at the boy. Its arms had short claws, but they did not extend from the side of shoulders like you or I would. Instead, the short and stubby appendages protruded from the center of its chest, which gave it the appearance of a Tyrannosaurus Rex-like creature. Thank God we don't have video. <laughs> yes. As Goldie Ann is making little gestures of a Tyrannosaurus waving its arms in front of it. <laughs> Even more bizarre was that it was standing on three legs, like a tripod circled beneath the creature. <laughs> this isn't as though it originally had four legs and lost one. But it was as though it was perfectly natural for this thing's existence to only possess three legs. Okay. So we have a four foot tall, 200 pound, three legged creature. With Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. That sounds really weird. I told you this is going to be a very bizarre creature. Okay. And right now it's staring at Jarrett, who could not help but stare back at the creature when it suddenly leaped towards him with freakish speed. It utilized all three of its legs. When it reached the frightened child, it began to use those three legs and claw at his feet. It did not take the horror long before completely shredding the boy's tennis shoes. Luckily for Jarrett, he suffered no injuries as he kicked away from the creature. He ran back to the back door of his house, slammed it shut, and hid behind it, hoping that the horror would just go away and that would be the end of it. He did not plan to report to the authorities or even their parents. He would change his mind later due to the events that would occur shortly afterwards on that night to the home of his neighbors. That's kind of weird. Like I said, I I'm trying to envision this, but it just doesn't seem possible. Well, just imagine a little tree trunk-like creature with freak arms and three legs basically trying to shred a boy's tennis shoes. Yeah. And that's kind of what you got right now. Chapter 2, It Wants to Come In. After the incident ended for Jarrett, and about 30 minutes later of the same night, there would be another encounter at the home of the McDaniels. The parents had gone out for the evening, leaving the children, Henry McDaniel Jr. and his sister Lil, alone in the house. They were quietly watching television when there was a sound of scratching on the front door. Curious as to what could be causing the noise, Henry got up from the couch and went to the front door. He had expected to see a stray dog or even a raccoon scratching at the door when he opened it. Instead, what he did find was the Enfield horror clawing at the door with one of its three legs. The shock was overwhelming, and Henry could just had enough resolve to quickly slam the door shut before locking it. Lil was terrified by what had just happened, but her brother attempted to calm her down by explaining that whatever the thing was that was on their front porch could not possibly get inside the house. <laughs> Famous last words. Going back to the couch, they hoped for the thing to have gone away. It didn't, and the scratching at the front door continued. Then, everything had gone quiet. The two children listened, but everything had gone silent. 
and they were convinced that this was finally over, and they could go back to watching television pretending nothing had ever happened. Suddenly, the air conditioning unit that was mounted in their window began to rattle and shake. It was obvious that the creature had moved from the front door and was now on the side of the house and working to enter their home through this window. The horror was yanking and scratching and pulling on the unit from the outside in every attempt to pull it free until everything stopped. Henry McDaniel Sr. and his wife had returned home at 9.30 p.m. When the door opened, the children rushed to their parents, terrified and attempting to warn their parents of the monster that was outside of the house. It took a minute for their parents to calm the children down and understand the frantic retelling of the events of the evening. Their parents checked to see what the children had been watching as a scary movie in the dark could have caused such delusions and frightened the children. However, the two had not been watching anything that would have created such a story. While the skeptical parents were listening to their children, the scratching at the front door returned. Henry Sr. decided to get to the bottom of this, and he immediately went to the front door where he swung it wide open. The children screamed in fear and hid behind their mother. It is not known what Henry Sr. had expected to find when he peered outside, but what he found was the same three-legged horror that had been terrifying his children all night. In utter disbelief, Henry Sr. moved back from the entrance of the door and slammed it closed before the creature could move forward. Damn straight. <laughs> Their father now made his way to the hallway closet and retrieved a flashlight and a twenty-two pistol he kept stored there. Pistol? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's mm -hmm. weird. Why is that weird? I don't know. People out like that, I kind of figured that they don't have rifles. <laughs> True, but in this case, he only had a small pistol. But he was armed and prepared, and he returned to the front door. The Enfield horror was still there on the front porch as the door opened, gazing back at him with large pink eyes the size of flashlights. Maybe he just wants... A friend. <laughs> well, I think he needs a better uh, approach to it than uh, trying to climb in through air conditioning units in the middle of the night. This time, Henry Sr. was positive that this was not some prank or some joke. It was unlike anything he could have mistaken for a dog or a raccoon. This was not somebody in a costume. This was something from a nightmare that had threatened his family and was sitting between two rose bushes of his front porch. Without any hesitation, he opened fire with his pistol. At such close range, he was convinced he hit it squarely in its stocky, short, human-like body. But it did not have the reaction he had expected of falling over and dying. The horror hissed instead much like a wildcat back at the man holding the pistol, who fired three more times at it. It then ignored the gunshots and leaped from the porch to race into the dark field. Huh. In fact, it crossed 50 feet in a series of three astonishing leaps, utilizing all three of its legs. It then disappeared into a row of shrubs alongside the L&L Railroad Embankment which was located across the street. Wow. I said, that's pretty powerful feet. 
You're right. Those were incredible leaps for something that supposedly weighs 200 pounds. Yeah. The father checked on his frightened family. He closed the front door again and immediately called the local authorities. The Illinois state troopers arrived at the scene with the only evidence they could find was a series of scratches to the siding of the house and door. There were a few footprints in the yard. They resembled those of a dog, except that they had six toe pads, and one set of the prints was slightly smaller than the other two. This indicated that one leg was smaller than the others. There was no blood or body found, but one of the officers, James Masser, described McDaniel as rational and sober. That's important. Very important for these kind of stories. You really don't want someone drunk trying to tell you they saw pink elephants. Yeah. It was during their investigation that Greg Garrett, the boy neighbor, came forth to report his own incident with the creature and how it had attacked him in his yard. The investigators discovered similarities with the stories and the descriptions, even though there had been no time for the two families to compare the incidents. It is hard to fully imagine how the three legs are attached to such a creature. Are they evenly spaced around the squat creature? Or does it have two main support legs and a third one at the rear acting like a tail-like appendage? Interesting. I was thinking more like you had two back legs and a small front leg. That's possible, too. Without actually having a photo or the body of the creature, we're kind of left to estimate or make our own assumptions of what the creature did or even how it moved. Yeah. That's what I had in my head when you were reading. Oh, well, there you go. Well, does it run using the front legs and then bring the third leg up from behind to leap forward? Or does it run left, right, and the third leg providing balance? The dynamics of a three-legged creature is very unusual to visualize. Mm, especially that fast. Regardless, the McDaniel family believed that their nightmare was over and that whatever the Enfield horror was, the police had chased it far off from their front porch. I don't think it's over. It never is. <laughs> Chapter 3, The Horror Returns. Dun, dun, dun. Everything had returned to normal and was mostly forgotten. That would remain true until the middle of the night on May 6, 1973. So how long has passed? Just about two weeks from the first okay. encounter. Oh. Henry McDaniel Sr., who had felt he had dealt with the creature sufficiently, was awoken from his slumber by the howling of the neighborhood dogs. He decided to get out of bed and retrieve his pistol once again. Making his way downstairs, he unlocked the front door and cautiously opened it. It was unknown if he had expected to see the horror on his porch once again or not. This time, he saw the freakish three-legged thing at a distance. It was making its way along the trestles of the railroad tracks across the street. It was not moving at the same speed he had experienced on his initial encounter. Instead, it was just on his leisurely stroll this evening. It was too far from him to safely take a shot at it this time, and the creature did not seem to notice him. McDaniel decided to forego the police this time and instead called the radio station, WWKI, claiming to have seen the creature again. By now, newspapers had heard of the events and were coming to Enfield for their juicy story. With the second encounter, 
Journalists across the country were there, and the town was in the middle of a public spotlight for what was being called the Enfield Horror. As if out of a 1950s movie, White County Sheriff Ray Pochard Jr. was said to have become frustrated by the public attention of the press and the curiosity seekers. It built up to such a point that the sheriff threatened to have Henry McDaniel Sr. arrested if he did not stop inciting a panic with his story. <sighs> Rude. And it also feels much like a government cover-up. There were feelings that perhaps the government knew more about the creature than they were informing the public. Could the horror have been a research project that had escaped some secret laboratory? Oh God, I hope not. Could it have been a mutation of another creature that they were performing genetics on? That's horrible. That's what I said. I hope not. Well, obviously, the description of the creature does tend to make the imagination sway to the thing being unnatural or a mutation. That this could have been created in some lab like in many horror films. Unfortunately, or fortunately, there has never been any proof of such a facility capable of this kind of genetics existing, not only in Illinois, but anywhere in the world. In regards to the panic that the sheriff was attempting to prevent, it was just too late for that. There was a bit of mass hysteria taking over the town. The local population was feeling threatened and demanded that his staff find and kill the creature. People were seeing it in the shadows at night all over town. Yeah, what's that called? Inciting mass panic? What's the, what's the physical? There's some terminology. I do not know. And maybe it'll come to you? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I'm not a psychiatrist. <laughs> well, there is mass hysteria. Is that yeah, what that's probably what I'm thinking of. Okay. A way to incite it to where everybody has it. Now, some even took it into their own hands by going out as well-armed posses and patrolling the area near the L&L Railroad at night. One such group of hunters had tracked down the horror, although their description of the creature had one slight variation. Uh-oh, what was that? So instead of, it, they did describe it as being short and stocky with three legs and the two arms. However... It was Bob from down the road. <laughs> well, this Bob, according to them, the tripod monster had hair covering its body. It could be like a mangy dog with one leg. Well, with three legs. Oh, yeah. But like with I said, missing nobody, one leg is what I meant. Well, but basically, everyone has described it as looking like it naturally had three legs. No one three. described it as looked like it was missing a leg. Yeah. For this creature, the men who found it proceeded to fire on it. They met the same result at McDonald's in that the bullets seemed to have no effect on the creature. Instead, the horror raced off at speed unbelievable to the hunters. These were hunters. They're used to that kind of stuff. True. You would think that they would have a little bit more foreknowledge, right. at least of the animals in that area. Exactly. Again, the police were called to investigate reports of gunfire and ended up arresting five young men from out of town who had come to Enfield in order to photograph the creature, claiming that they carried the shotguns and rifles for protection. The men claimed that they had sighted the creature. So they got arrested instead. Well, what had happened was the White County Sheriff dismissed the reports of this as a monster hunting expedition. He stated that, that was just an exaggerating, claiming that the men were just out drinking and raising hell, mentioning the monster only briefly during questioning afterwards. 
he charged each of the men with hunting violations. Hmm. So instead of these being monster hunters, he claimed that they were just kids. A riot. Yeah, just kids out drinking and shooting in the woods. Yeah. Chapter four, investigators arrive. The radio station in Kokomo, Indiana, began to broadcast about the encounters people were reporting about the horror. The news director, Rick Rainbow, performed his own investigation, in which three unnamed individuals and he claimed to have saw a gray, stooping creature lurking outside of an abandoned house near the homes of Garrett and McDaniels. Nothing ever came of this investigation except for one last bit of evidence, supposedly, Rainbow obtained a tape recording of the monster's disturbing scream. It was said to sound like a piercing, hideous scream of an animal never before heard. The recording has since disappeared, leading most people to believe that it was a hoax. Meant to, yeah, and that this was meant to just provide publicity to the radio station. Right. Now to provide a little bit more credibility was the arrival of famed cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman. Woo! Go, Lauren! Get him! Oh, sorry. I'm his peanut gallery. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm a fan of his as well. Well, we met him, so yes. I, like, I totally love this man. He, he's amazing. He is very amazing. Well, at this point, this was quite a ways ago, and he was merely just a student who was working on his anthropology degree during the time of the incident. Ooh. So he was local to the event and went out to conduct his own research on the phenomenon. So the right person in the right place at the right time. While there, he talked with many of the eyewitnesses and did comment that he heard the tape as well as the haunting cry of the creature himself while searching the area in which witnesses claimed to have seen it. He was unable to substantiate anything more to the existence of the creature but did provide enough information to keep an open mind. Coleman was quoted as saying, I traveled to Enfield, interviewed the witnesses, looked at the siding of the house the Enfield monster had damaged, heard some strange screeching banshee-like sound, and walked away bewildered. Awesome. He did write an article in 1974 for Fate magazine with paranormal researcher Jerome Clark. The article provided theories of phantom kangaroos and devil monkeys. <laughs> Such animals have been reported throughout the Mississippi area since 1941. The working theory by newspapers and the police was that if the reports were not a hoax, then the creature was a phantom kangaroo. The term phantom in this instance refers oh. to the fact that kangaroos should not exist in Illinois rather than them being any ghost-like qualities. So really, that was just the only animal they could think of that does the three legs and Tyrannosaurus arms. It does fit the descriptions. Now, they call it a phantom because, yeah, there shouldn't be kangaroos in right. Illinois. There have been some cases of actual populations of feral red-necked wallabies living near the township of Emancy, France, which is located about 31 miles southwest of Paris. So this theory is not impossible that there are wild kangaroos roaming the forests of Illinois. There was a breeding colony of these same type of wallabies that broke loose from a private zoo in Staffordshire, United Kingdom in the 1930s. The small colony was documented in the 1970s as having reached 60 to 70 feral wallabies. 
although sightings have dwindled since then, with some people believing that they had died out. Yeah, so now they're thinking, okay, so somebody grabbed it and brought it to America and put a bulletproof vest on it and let it grow to 200 pounds. Now you have the theory that the police were claiming. Okay. (laughs) There have also been reports of wild kangaroos in locations where they should not exist, which includes Japan, which has had a series of phantom kangaroo sightings in the district of Osaka between 2003 and 2010. As you said... The public did have a better acceptance of this, that it was a kangaroo or the smaller wallaby because of the three legs and amazing leaping ability. Right. So we're just going to ignore the bulletproof. bulletproof. Yeah. McDaniel, however, was adamant that the creature was not no kangaroo. He had owned such a creature as a pet while on military service in Australia. What? And noted that kangaroos have narrow faces and tracks that leave claw marks. That's true. So he has some experience with kangaroos. And at least enough to state that he knows what a kangaroo is and what it isn't. And the Enfield Horror is not a kangaroo. Now, following the media coverage of the creature, an Ohio man contacted a local newspaper stating that the creature may have been his pet kangaroo, Macy, which had been lost or stolen a year previously. Uh-oh. So it does thicken the plot. It does. Where do you find a bulletproof vest, though, for a kangaroo? Or maybe uh, McDaniels is uh, worse of a shot than he thinks. <laughs> True. Should have grabbed a rifle. Other than a kangaroo, the other common misidentification animal theorized that the Enfield Horror is was that it was a devil monkey. These are described as being large baboon-like primates that have been spotted in the woods outside of areas such as Flagstaff, Arizona. Whether these are escapees from private zoos or released into the wild is unknown. Devil monkeys are often described as being four to five feet tall, very quick and agile. They would also be able to perform the incredible leaping that had been seen. Although... Baboons do not possess a tail that could have been mistaken as a third leg. So perhaps this is some larger but similar monkey species with a tail could have been evolved. Another famous paranormal investigator examined the case after speaking with Lauren Coleman. John Keel, known for his work with the Mothman of West Virginia, also did some preliminary work into the existence of the creature. Individuals in later years would make claims that there were a few UFO sightings in Illinois during the same period, although none were specifically in Enfield. That did not prevent people from speculating that the creature may have been from out of this world, perhaps one place in which three legs is more common than the normal two or four that we have. As for the neighbor boy, Greg Garrett, whose shoes were supposedly shredded by the creature, well... He recanted his story. He later told Western Illinois University researchers that his report was a hoax to, quote, tease Mr. M and have fun with an out-of-town newspaper man. What? Yeah. So the boy had changed his story. wonder if he changed his story because it wasn't true. That's why I said it's hard to say. Now, the Enfield Horror would be a unique story, if not for one other case of a creature sighted It was very similar to this one, which occurred in 1941 to 1942. It was in Mount Vernon, Illinois, which is located less than 40 miles from Enfield. During this time, 
there were reports of encounters with leaping baboon-like creatures. It was able to make leaps of 20 to 40 feet. Mm-hmm. Now, descriptions of this is slightly different than the Enfield version, but this creature was blamed for the deaths of numerous animals. Hmm. A theory has suggested that perhaps this is a 30-year cycle to the appearance of the creature. However, there have been no sightings during the 2001-2002 period to support this theory. In fact, there has not been one report of it in the last 40 years. This has created people to believe that the horror was a supernatural or demonic creature, rather than a natural, although unusual, animal. The Enfield horror, however, was frightened off by gunfire, or possibly even wounded. It has been seen performing mundane activities rather than supernatural ones. Both of these seem to disprove the idea that the creature is a spiritual or demonic entity. Hmm. You really don't think of a demon being afraid of gunfire. No. Now, you had mentioned this before, so I wanted to bring this up. Okay. That in 1978, researchers began a case study regarding the situation. The researchers found that no more than three first-hand witnesses claimed they saw the actual monster. But since then, their stories have been exaggerated by local news stories and the gossip. Of course. It became difficult to know what was the original report and what it snowballed into something bigger and more animated. Basically, mass hysteria. That sells newspapers. (laughs) Their concern was the lack of photos or of the evidence. Even if there were no photos of the actual horror, there are no crime scene photos of the aluminum siding scratches, the footprints in the dirt, or of the torn up tennis shoes. The claims that this was an elaborate hoax to bring tourists into town could not explain why two separate neighbors who told the police the exact same description without conversing with each other first could happen. (laughs) Even if Greg Garrett later claimed he made his story up, it is incredibly odd that he was able to describe a creature so bizarre, yet so much like the McDaniel one without knowing about their version. True. So it kind of makes you wonder, how could he claim that his is a fake when his is so accurate to the other one? I thought his was first. His was first. The tennis shoes. Yes. Tennis shoes came first. So how could he be making fun of McDaniel? Well, what had happened was, is that the incident to Greg happened first. Then the McDaniels happened. McDaniels called the police. Greg did not. He didn't even tell his parents. Right, right. As the police went door to door asking other people if they saw anything, okay. it was then that Greg told his story. Right. And the police didn't tell him what the creature looked like. Greg told them, and it was the exact same type of creature. And now he's claiming it's a hoax? Okay. Yeah. Very odd. Yeah. In the regards to popular culture, unlike the incredibly popular Enfield haunting, the Enfield monster or horror has not been the subject of any major motion pictures. And unlike other town monsters, there's not a yearly festival seeking to bring in the tourists. To most of the town, it seems that they just want to forget the incident rather than attempt to cash in on the fame of it. In regards to books, there is a trilogy that I could recommend. It utilizes the Enfield Horror to make great fictional reading. It is called the Enfield Horror Trilogy by Ron Ripley. Its synopsis reads, quote, In the deep woods of Enfield, an autumn windstorm has unleashed a horror that has been trapped for over a hundred years. 
For decades, the beast in its lair have hungered. Now the people of Enfield have to deal with a supernatural hunter with an insatiable appetite for humans. That sounds awesome. A hunter that is disturbingly good at what it does. As people start disappearing, Tom Henderson finds himself thrust from the role of a rural police officer into that of a savior. Improbable eyewitness accounts tell him that the beast he has to face is merciless. And now, Tom will discover how deep his courage truly runs. The Enfield Horror Trilogy contains 1. The Enfield Horror, 2. Darkness Rising, and 3. Nowhere to Run. That was a free plug there. <laughs> well, good luck. Ron Ripley. There you go, Ron. Good luck. I'm going to probably check it out, too. <laughs> So with all the information that we have about the Enfield Horror, what are some of your final opinions? I don't know. I mean, it's... it's. I like the whole uh, kangaroo theory that hitting him point blank in the chest unless he was just a crappy shot and never got through it. Which is possible because, I mean, a twenty-two pistol and it's not like he's a police officer trained on the use of it. Right. If he opened the door, got freaked, it's dark... And the creature yeah. jumps, it is possible for him to miss. I mean, he claims he hit it, but, you know, right. fishermen claim they catch, you know, you know huge mm. fish all the time, too. So it is True. possibly missed, and it was a feral kangaroo, but what has happened to the creature since then? Right. Or maybe he did hit it, and it just let out died. and died somewhere out in the woods, and there's a Yeah, but kangaroo two weeks skeleton. later, it came back. True. <laughs> so it's hard to, it's hard to say, and... It hasn't been seen since. So we may never know what the Enfield Horror was. If it was a hoax, a mutated creature from a science lab, an alien monster, or a phantom kangaroo. That's insane. It makes for a great story. It does. Well, being sure to open my front door very carefully tonight, (laughs) I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. Special thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for the introduction music. We would like to ask you to please leave us a review on this podcast provider you are listening to this on to help promote our show. We are on social media and would love to hear your stories and opinions about encounters of creatures that may or may not be as horrible as the Enfield Horror. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast, for updates on Within the Mist and the growth of Gare Bear Media. We are also on Instagram and Twitter, plus we have an email at withinthemistpodcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to share your stories. We'd love to hear them and about your own personal experiences. For those of you who may need a daily dose of cryptids and ghosts, we have a TikTok channel which gives a few-minute clips about a story involving some of your favorites and some unknown creatures and spirits. We hope you enjoyed our stories about the Enfield Horror, and we'll come again for another episode. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. See you next time. <laughs>